Welcome to another episode of Doe, a podcast dedicated to Doe cases from around the world. I'm Kat. And I'm Allie. And we are finally back after... I don't know how long it's been. The last time we put out an episode, it was October 12th, 2020. Oh, no. Oh, my God. I was kind of hoping that we had magically put one out earlier this year, so I wouldn't feel so much shame, but... Nope. I didn't even remember, like, the intro that you just did. I somehow have it memorized. I'm very proud of myself. So I guess we should, like, update people on where we've been. Well, where I've been is making TV in a pandemic. Yay. (laughs) It's, It's harder than usual. So that's been a very interesting process. And I feel very grateful that I can get my nose swabbed every week, sometimes twice a week, depending on the show. Oh, I didn't know about that part. Yeah. Oh, that's Um, fun. Yes. Luckily, I've only had to get my nose swabbed once. And that was because I got my tonsils out in March. Right. Yeah. So with me, got bored, went back to school because it was all online university classes. So that went well. Did some more forensic classes. Yay! Did, I always forget what the course is called, The Science of Cannabis. That one was fun. That sounds like a very fun course. There's a cannabis sommelier. I want that job. all about cannabis. That's Um, really cool. Then I did Introduction to Forensic Psychopharmacology. That was where I learned all about like mushrooms and all the other stuff. Mostly, mostly mushrooms. And then my grandparents moved into a retirement home and I've spent my entire summer like auctioning off the contents of their house where they were since 1963, I want to say, maybe 1964. That's a lot of time to go through that house. And now I have hundreds of photos to go through and I'm trying to identify people that were like from 1910 and just hoping I have a relative who will go, oh, that's so-and-so. Luckily, I have relatives that can go, this is so-and-so. So there's an end in sight. That's good. That's and good. Then, yeah. That's my year. Well, we hope that everyone who's listening to this and your families and your loved ones have been safe and that we've all gotten through uh, this pandemic mentally okay so yeah. far because it's definitely been a bit of a a bit of a, a hike, a stretch. I don't know what to call it. Yeah, honestly, it's kind of like going I don't know, up and down hills because all times where I'm perfectly fine and the other times I'm like, I'm not okay today. And that's okay. Yeah. That is okay. This is a good time to really focus on taking care of mental health, especially. Yep. And if you aren't super productive some days, that's ridiculously okay. We also just wanted to say thank you for being patient with us. If you have emailed us or talked to us on any sort of social media, we kind of went... We went on podcast hiatus and we're still tracking down those conversations and replying. So if you have been discussing things with us and you did not get a reply, please just give us a nudge because we're back. Our heads are back in the game and we would love to chat. So yeah, we just hope that everybody's uh, keeping on trucking and thank you for joining us for episode 20 of Doe. Are we episode 20 this finally? This is episode 20. That is exciting. It took us a long time to get here because we're us. Yes, thank you for <laughs> thank you for um, continuing to listen and to still be here even after a year hiatus that we didn't tell anybody what was going because on. Because we didn't know. Because we kept going, okay, we'll record next week. No, next week. And that went on for like 10 months. And then it really got overwhelming because as we're looking up does, the does that we've already talked about 
kept getting solved, which is amazing. Yep. But we also, for me, it was very overwhelming because it was just like, okay, I got to research those, got to figure out which those are like have been identified. And luckily, Caitlin is a saint and made a list. So what we're going to do for the next two episodes is uh, each of us are going to talk about two cases that we've previously talked about where they were unidentified in the old episode and in the last year. Or pretty much in the yeah, last in year. Yeah, in the last year. All in of the them. last year, they've been identified. Yeah. Since our last, since October, we have a list of what, eight? Maybe not eight. There's, seven? I think there's seven because we already talked about Rosie. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So there, there have been a lot of movements on a lot of cases, which yeah. is awesome. And also, uh, we need to shout out this person on yes. Chartable. Uh, actually, this is from. Apple Podcasts user Mayflower D-A-R. Thank you for calling out all of the whiny crybaby Trumpers. We love who, you. Yeah. Thank you for saying exactly what uh, basically we have been saying, which is uh, politics affects does. Yeah. And forensics as a whole. Yep. Like you can't, like politics affects pretty much every single thing. You cannot escape it. Yep. That's why you whenever someone's be like. You apolitical. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why whenever someone's like, oh, don't bring politics into this. Politics is in everything. You can't not bring it into something. It's very true. Well, shall we get on with it? Yes. Okay. Who's going first? Um, mine was first, like in a, a year ago, I started the episode. First. Oh, right. I totally forgot how these work. Okay, then I'll go first. Great. So this one is an update that's actually really short. So my sources for this are an article by Nikki Gaskins from patch.com and an article from Anika Padilla from CBS Denver. So On August 13th, 2020, the Douglas County Sheriff's Office announced that Rainbow Falls Doe had been identified as 20-year-old Rebecca, or Becky, Ann Redeker. Becky's remains were found in June 1993 near the Rainbow Falls campground in Pike National Forest in Douglas County, approximately two to three days after she'd been killed. Now, at the time of our recording, um, sources were saying she'd been killed by blunt force trauma, but now news sources are saying that investigators say that they're still investigating the cause of death. Hmm. So we're not entirely sure how she died at the moment. And can you remind me what episode we talked about Rainbow Falls Doe in? Uh, uh, it was the Millie episode. Uh, uh, it was episode 17. Yes. Okay. So... For people keeping track at home, if you want to go listen to our episode that we talked about Rainbow Falls Doe, we are updating from episode 17. At the time of her death, she was likely homeless, and investigators have been able to put together a rough outline of where she had been living from 1985 to 1992. This timeline comes from Patch.com and um, additional information from CBS Denver. So from 1985 to 1988, She was living in Manitou Springs, Colorado, and she attended high school there for three years. I'm assuming grade 9 to 11. Um, And then from 1988 to 1989, she lived in Divide, Colorado, where she attended Coronado High School for her final year. 
Then in 1989, she was living in a group home in Colorado Springs, Colorado. From 1990 to 1991, she was living in another group home, this time in Denver, Colorado. And then in 1992, she lived in Black Forest, Green Mountain Falls, and Woodland Park, all in Colorado. So she disappeared sometime between 1992 and 1993. But if she was homeless, she could have been pretty much anywhere with Mm -hmm. probably no one knowing. Yeah. Um, So this investigation is still going on because she's been identified, but now they're trying to find out who did it. Um, But she's survived by her mother and brother who are both helping police with their investigations. Do you have photos? I was just about to say, I have photos. So start with a refresher of the approximations. So there was that clay bust with the blonde hair and the smiling um, brunette bust with also clay, kind of large lips, that one. And then Carl. Carl's reconstruction. Um, and then they did another one because they thought her hair was either dyed blonde or could be brown, so they kind of did both. Mm-hmm. And Neckmeck had the, a couple other reconstructions. And then we have family photos. So oh, I think oh my God. This would have been probably, uh, I don't know, around like six ish. Those bangs are amazing. Yeah, she had fantastic bangs, like really, really, really light blonde hair. Yeah. And then this one, probably when she was a teen. Judging by the sullen, annoyed expression, she was definitely a teen. <laughs> I have worn this expression many times. <laughs> that in my was life. my expression from 2004 to 2008. <laughs> As my mother will say, from age 12 to now. Mm. And, oh, I think this is probably when she was younger. Oh, um, When she so had sweet. like a, um, is this a page boy cut? I it's think? very feathered. I don't know if it's a page boy cut. But yeah, but... Like she had very short hair. And this is um, the photo you'll see most often of her. I think this is probably the one closest to like her death, probably. Mm. It's one you'll see online, like blonde hair. Cut to about shoulders with bangs, um, wearing like a red plaid shirt. Yeah. But what got me with this one is if you look at that smile and then you look at the smile on the clay bust that I think was one of the original <gasps> ones, it's the exact same smile. They got it so close. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, well, they found her pretty soon after her death, but obviously not smiling. So the fact that they got the smile right is just... It's really, really close. So this one, hopefully they're able to find who killed her. Yeah. And hopefully, so this is one that hopefully there's another update. Yeah. So this is one where it's, we know who she is now. We're just waiting for more information to come out. Mm -hmm. It's an ongoing case. Yeah. Police are asking for anyone who lived in mostly Manitou Springs, Colorado Springs from like the 80s to 93, basically, if they knew her or saw anything to tell them so rainbow falls doe has gone her name back and her family knows they don't know what happened but they know where she went hello my name is stephanie and i am the host creator and writer of the uncover true crime podcast each week we uncover a different unsolved true crime case ranging from missing persons unsolved murders, Jane and John Doe's, and suspicious deaths. You can listen to the podcast on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other podcast streaming apps, as well as on YouTube by searching Uncovered True Crime. 
Join us every Friday at 7pm GMT and uncover a new true crime case with us. Until then, please stay safe and have a good night. Okay, here's my first update. This is a Kern County Doe update. We first talked about her in episode four. Oh yeah, that was a while ago. Yep. So my references for this one are the DNA Doe Project, an APTN news article by Holly Moore and Chris Stewart that also includes a video segment of the case by Chris Stewart and a KGET.com news article. So here's a brief summary of the Kern County case. Uh, She was found in McFarland, California on July 14th, 1980 in an almond orchard. She was sexually assaulted and stabbed at least 19 times. She possibly used the name Rebecca Ochoa and had two distinguishing tattoos. One said, Mother and I love you. And one said, I love you above Shirley inside a heart and Seattle in script font underneath. She'd given birth at least once. We speculated that maybe she was in a motorcycle club due to the tattoos. And she may have been picked up from the Bar Rubies in Lemoore, California. Her killer was Wilson Choist. His DNA was under Kern County Doe's fingernails, as well as Ventura County Jane Doe. So that is the Coles notes of that case. In April 2021, she was publicly given back her name due to the DNA Doe Project's efforts. The Kern County Sheriff Coroner Division, specifically Chief Don Ratliff, reached out to the project. Uh, Kern County Doe's DNA was so degraded that it took a year to upload it to the site. Chief Ratliff reached out mid-2018, but her DNA wasn't uploaded until almost a year later in 2019. And I remember in our previous episode that it sounded like Ventura County Doe was closer to being identified than Kern County. Yes, I remember that. Yep. So from the DNA Doe Project website, quote, Team leader Gina Rather noted this case was particularly challenging because indigenous family histories are usually relayed orally, so there is little written genealogical documentation available. Unquote. They were able to find out that her ancestors were from indigenous nations in Canada. The DNA Doe Project started a Facebook campaign asking for people with shared ethnicity to upload their profiles onto GEDmatch. Violet Suse saw the story on Facebook and had a suspicion that Kern County Doe was actually her aunt. The case was solved because Violet uploaded her DNA. So, Kern County Doe was actually Shirley Ann Suse of the Sampson Cree Nation, who resided in Masquachee's territory in Alberta. Shirley was one of the first indigenous does to be identified using genetic genealogy. Oh. So her niece, Violet, says that Shirley left the reserve to work in Edmonton and then moved to Vancouver. The last time Violet saw Shirley was in 1977, uh, when Shirley was visiting home when their brother passed away. Shirley told her niece, Violet, that she was going to visit someone in Seattle. Hmm. Oh, the tattoo. Mm-hmm. And that was also her own name in the tattoo. Yeah. So her real name, like she, like she was like, hello, I'm Shirley. It's on my body. I'm Shirley. And nobody... I sometimes think that I'm like, I wonder if it'd be a good idea to like tattoo my name somewhere on my body. But it's like, clearly it doesn't matter because people are going to look at that and be like, you don't get your own name tattooed. I mean, you don't. But Charlie did. But she did. She did. So her family used to get cards on special occasions from Shirley, but this stopped in 1979. Violet says that her grandmother knew that something had happened and that Violet made a promise to her grandmother to never stop looking. 39 years later, that promise was made good. 
Violet and her aunt used to go to hostels in Vancouver and graveyards on their hunt for Shirley. Violet also did genealogical work on her own, and she traced her family's genealogy to Saskatchewan Plains Cree chief Big Bear. So Violet saw a DNA Doe Project ad and reached out in February 2020. Uh, By this point, uh, the DNA Doe Project already had a lead in a half-second cousin of Shirley, but when Violet reached out, they had their actual match. So at this point on the DNA Doe Project's end, they'd uh, been doing some research and had already found a half-second cousin, Um, but I think when Violet reached out, that was a stronger lead. Yeah, definitely, because half-second cousin, you're kind of like, okay, well half-second cousin versus niece. Yeah, it's like, okay, we have much better chance of identification. So they might have been able... I mean, they probably would have been able to get a lead from the half-second cousin. But it probably would have taken taken longer. Yeah, exactly. So Violet said she is still searching for answers as to how Shirley ended up in California. And in the aptnnews.ca article, she is quoted as saying, quote, when an elder asks you to do something for them, you have to do your best to live up to it. Now we can put Shirley to rest in our proper ceremonial ways and ensure her spirit is not stuck in this place. That alone is a huge, huge relief. Unquote. I'm getting chills. I know. So I'm so happy that Shirley got identified. Um, and this case goes to show that word of mouth and being connected by Facebook is a powerful tool for solving cases. And hopefully the Ventura Doe ID is not far behind. Yes. And also, I think this kind of relates to a conversation we've had not too long ago where we were talking about like reaching out to communities in not just like one way for all communities, but looking at the specific community and figuring out the best way to disseminate information based on who you're trying to get that information to. Yeah. Because like a lot of times people will forget that not everyone accesses the same information Mm -hmm. or has the ability to access the same information. Yes. It's such an interesting time uh, in terms of Joe cases because not only is the technology to identify DNA, like that's at a point that it's never really been at. Mm -hmm. And just the sites like GenMatch is kind of unprecedented in terms of how the information train the information what am train. I saying the I don't in- know but I like it <laughs> it's just like the information train it's like it's a perfect storm to identify dose and especially also with the pandemic with a lot of people at home I think there was a rise in people like going okay I'm gonna like upload my DNA I'm gonna see yeah. if I can figure out some family stuff like yeah. I know I worked a lot more on the family tree yeah and I would have if I didn't because I usually have like four months off every year because yeah. there's a slow season in tv so one year i was like i'm just gonna get an ancestry subscription for the two months that i'm off or whatever i remember that and i'm just gonna do everything i'm just gonna do all of it so if i hadn't done that already this would have been the time to do it Mm -hmm. and also once again the importance of opting in when you upload your dna to GEDmatch. yes oh i should probably show you the photo before we end Okay, so here is Carl's facial approximation. Yep, I remember that one. And here is the main photo of Shirley. Oh, I love that photo of her. She's got like a beehive, curly Q bangs. I can't explain it other than that. Yeah, and she's got like a beehive, but also like a ponytail. So it's kind of like um, It's like a beehive ponytail. I think you described it perfectly. Yeah, it's really awesome. 
And she's got the coolest cat's eye glasses. Yes, those are the glasses you've always wanted. And kind of wearing right now. Yeah, kind of. And there's two other photos. Uh, this is a young Shirley. Oh, yeah, that looks... Mm, who's got the... Eight-ish? Probably, I was going to say like maybe six, but she's got the classic expression of every child who's <laughs> shy. And also getting a photo taken of why are you doing this? Yes. And then this is another photo that's Aww. it's a little hard to see, but... Yeah, that looks like maybe young teen, mid-teens maybe. Yeah, and it's just a black and white photo of her and another friend. Um, yeah, so... And how old was she when she died, do they think? Uh, 34, 35. Okay. She was born around 1945. So. Okay, so for my second identified case, the sources for this were Kiro 7. It could be K-I-R-O. I don't know. Might be a radio station. Do radio stations have online articles? It's 2021. I'm going to say yes. Okay. And this article is Crystal Bonvillain, I think that's how you say it. Uh, other sources are two articles by Laurie Mason Schroeder from The Morning Call, a CNN article by Alec Snyder, and a Lehigh Valley Live article by Tony Roden, and another one by Kurt Breswin. Oh, and also, heads up, we also gave a heads up on the original episode for this one because this one was particularly horrific. Oh. Yeah. And also involved a child death. What case? Oh, I just remembered what case we're talking about. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah. So just a warning for everyone. Um, This was, I believe, episode 10. It was episode 10. Okay. On December 20th, 1976, Beth Doe's dismembered body and that of an almost full-term fetus were discovered on the bank of the Lehigh River. When we initially did the episode, my research said the remains were all contained within three suitcases. But according to this article from The Morning Call, a 14-year-old boy actually discovered her head and the fetus in the riverbank weeds, and then investigators from there located the suitcases uh, that appeared to have been thrown from the overpass of Interstate 80. I, I think they may have like, come out of the suitcases, and it wasn't like purposeful. So I'm sure I said this in episode 10. I really, really, really hope that boy got mental health Help. Yeah, because that is, yeah, that's a rough thing. So on March 31st of this year, 2021, Pennsylvania State Police announced that they had identified Beth Doe after almost 45 years. Not only that, they had identified her possible killer. Heck yes, science. So Beth Doe has been identified as Evelyn Cologne, a 15-year-old girl who moved out of her family home in 1976 to live with her 19-year-old boyfriend, Luis Sierra nicknamed Wizo, I think is how you say it, in Jersey City after she became pregnant. According to her surviving family, Evelyn reported to them that Louise was abusive and jealous and frequently kept her locked in their apartment. Her mother also stated that Evelyn had told her that if anything happened to her, Louise was likely involved. Oh my god. According to her family, when they went to the apartment in December 1976 to deliver soup to Evelyn, who wasn't feeling well, The apartment had been vacated with no sign of where Evelyn or Louise had gone. A month later, so January 1977, the family received a letter written by Louise that explained the couple had moved to Connecticut and the baby had been born and was also named Louise. He also said in the letter that Evelyn would contact them if she ever needed anything. 
The family did not find this strange since Evelyn couldn't write well, and so they didn't report her missing, thinking that maybe Evelyn had decided to start a new life and no longer wanted contact with her family. Hmm. But her family never stopped looking for her. According to Luis Colon Jr., Evelyn's nephew, Evelyn's mother would walk around Jersey City looking for her. So I have a bunch of quotes that I'm now incorporating from the CNN article. Quote, I would see my grandmother. She would walk around Jersey City and look for her, he said. Hey, did you see Evelyn? She would think she saw her and tell my other grandmother, hey, I think I saw Evelyn. She would say, I don't know why I can't find her. Luis Colon Sr., Evelyn's brother, and Miriam Veltman Colon, the daughter of Luis Colon Sr., so Evelyn's niece, searched the internet. Quote, I was looking up these people on Facebook, and I went and messaged all these people, she said. I feel like an idiot now, doing that, and I might have been scared I could have tipped somebody off, but even I was looking for her. Luis Colon Jr., Miriam's brother, tried genealogy sites. Quote, about four years ago, I heard about the DNA stuff, and I wanted to see, hey, this would be an awesome tool if I could connect with family, and specifically connect with my cousin, and he was referring to Evelyn's child. Oh, gotcha. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I was confused at first because I knew she, so Evelyn, had a kid or cousins, multiple children, or her, he said. So I got the kits, purchased one for me, for my wife, ordered another one from another website because I felt the more sites I'm on, the more chance that something would come about from that. It's a good strategy. Yeah. In 2020, investigators uploaded the DNA profile obtained from Beth Doe remains into a public DNA database, which allowed them to then search for potential relatives. They were able to locate Luis Colon Jr. and contacted him in March of this year, 2021. Quote, I get notified that, hey, your DNA was matched to a victim of a homicide. So we got in touch and they asked me, do you know anyone in your family? And I immediately, once they reached out to me, I knew it was her. He then sent links about Beth Doe to his sister Miriam. Quote from Miriam. We never heard of Beth Doe ever. As soon as I saw the picture, I said, that looks like my niece. I think this was supposed to be aunt. Oh. And that it was like miswritten, like um, it was mistranscribed. mistranscribed. Because from my understanding of everything, Miriam is Evelyn's niece. I see why and this took you so long yes. to write and good on you. And I think that she is Louise colin jr's sister uh without thinking anything so i called my brother and i'm like hey bro what is this link you sent me he took a deep breath my brother he's a very emotionally stable person so for him to take a deep breath like that that's a big deal for him oh so when investigators talked to Luis colon senior so that's evelyn's brother and according to these articles he is also the father of miriam and Luis colon jr were the ones it. yes okay understanding pretty sure um he was able to provide a description that matched beth doe including the mole on her cheek and the scar on her leg magdalia cologne louise and evelyn's sister told police about evelyn's allegations of abuse when investigators spoke to louise sierra now 63 married with two children and living in ozone park new york he denied knowing evelyn before admitting to dating her and getting her pregnant he claimed that Evelyn disappeared on her own, and he assumed she had returned to her family home, but he couldn't explain why he hadn't looked for her or their baby, and he kept changing stories about the letter sent in 1977. It's too bad that eye rolls cannot be expressed on I podcasts. Know, right? Since her identification, Luis has been arrested and charged with her murder. 
However, Carbon County District Attorney Michael Greek has stated that according to the law in 1976, Luis cannot be charged with the murder of Evelyn's unborn daughter. Because there are certain rules, like when you charge someone, you usually, like if they committed a crime, like in 1976, you have to look at the law. Look at when the law can, when they committed the crime. But prosecutors are determining if any other charges can be laid. Probably. Probably. Hopefully I mean, they'll figure it out. Yeah, there's a, like, there's a lot of things I think they can probably charge him with. Still, Evelyn's family are relieved, at least about knowing they, what happened to her. They know, and also some justice has been... Yeah, like, like I think um, he hasn't gone to trial yet, because that usually takes a while, and this was pretty recent, relatively speaking. So he's been charged. Um, yes. Quote, we finally potentially got the answer. This is a quote from Luis Colon Jr., it gives me peace to know, at least now I know and we know that she wasn't, she didn't purposely leave us. It's nothing that we did. And that really, really makes me feel good to know. Because, yeah, again, thinking like that, that she decided that she, she just peaced out and was like, I don't want to talk to you guys. And just not knowing what you did to prompt that. Yeah. Or if you had done anything and just being haunted by that for more than four decades. Yeah. And Evelyn's family is also grateful to the community in Whitehaven, Pennsylvania, where Evelyn and her baby are buried. Quote from Miriam, We're so thankful for that community, that Carbon County community, that they loved her, that they cared for her. They treated her like their own, these random people for all these years, because the community there, well, they buried her, and and they were always, like, visiting her grave, and, like, mm. a lot of, like, we've talked about this in a lot of cases, mm -hmm. where a community will adopt yeah and like care for the grave and make sure that yeah. it's well maintained and sort of like um that doe is now a member of the community yeah and that they aren't forgotten yeah and evelyn's family have named um evelyn's unborn daughter emily grace cologne oh so she also has a name now evelyn's family has set up a gofundme uh we'll provide the link in our show notes as usual so they're raising money to provide a headstone for the two since they don't currently have one with their names and they're also uh, raising money to help with travel expenses for various family members uh, around the country so that they can come and give evelyn and her daughter a proper memorial service so if you would like to help with that and just follow the link that we have shared so that one, this is one of the rare cases where not only was a doe identified, but the person responsible was identified yes. and will meet justice. Oh, did I show you pictures? Um, I did no. not. Oh my goodness. There's only one photo of um, Evelyn that I have found and it's not the best photo. She looks so 70s. Her giant 70s sunglasses that yeah. I love. Oh. She kind of looks like she probably listened to Janis Joplin. And I have pulled up, Oh, definitely. I have pulled up the two uh, facial estimations. Yeah. Is it approximation or estimation? Because that was... Approximation uh, okay. because I screwed up the first time it said estimations. And then the... Yeah, then the neck neck ones. Yeah. Oh, I just found a picture of another... <gasps> oh, my God. Side by side. Oh, which 
She still, they still didn't really get yeah. it right in the uh, estimations or approximations. You tell me this so many times and I always That's forget. okay. I will also, forgive you. episode 10 was Beth Doe and Lime Lady, who was also identified, but we will be talking about her next yes, episode. Yes, that is correct. So that's every Doe that we talked about in episode 10 is identified. Yay! I think that was also our, like, isn't that the, ep- the episode where we got, like, the most listens or something? Yeah. Ten, I guess episode, episode 10 was 10 just a blast. It's hashtag, hashtag blessed. blessed. I'm keeping that in. Yes, you definitely should. <laughs> okay. So this is right. a case from our last episode, which was a year ago. I don't remember. So there was enough episode. time between uh, our last episode and now for one of the does that we talked about to be identified. We did that on purpose. Good save, Caitlin. Yes, such good save. Um, okay, so this is an update on Charlene from episode 19. My references are Unidentified Wiki, DNA Doe Project, a Kanaki Valley Post news article by Gregory Myers, and an NNNWITimes.com article by Kale Will. That was a hard one to say. That's a tongue twister. And a YouTube video by user FG Central. So, to refresh your memory, because it has been one year, Charlene was a doe found in the Willow Slough State Fish and Wildlife Area in August of 1988. She was shot and then set on fire under a pile of tires with another person. Right. Yes. Oh, oh yeah. Who has been identified as Selassie Sherrod Jr., also known as Tony, who is a 30-year-old black man from St. Anne, Kanaki County, Illinois. Tony was last seen alive at a 4th of July party, but it doesn't sound like Charlene was at the same party. Yes. Or else they probably would have figured out, though, this it is was who super, Tony was. Yeah. yeah, that would have been easy. So Charlene was identified in March of 2021 as 24-year-old Jennifer Noreen Denton of Joliet, Illinois, born in 1963. She was a mother of an at-the-time one-year-old daughter. Joliet is about an hour and a half northwest of Morocco, Indiana, which is where Jennifer's body was found. Okay. The Joliet Police Department did not list Jennifer as a missing person when her sister brought up the case to police because Jennifer was an adult. That was like the only reason. Oh my god, I hate when they do that. Yep. Like all of her personal belongings were at her house and she had abandoned her one-year-old daughter, but she's an adult, so let's not look into this at all. I get Yes, you can have situations where, like, an adult needs to get out of a situation. And so and it makes... not necessarily... It does not seem like a missing persons case. But, but this one specifically... Is, like, something bad happened. You, like, everything is there. Yeah. The baby's there. Nothing about this points to someone who just, like, up and left for funsies. Yeah. And do we want to talk about racial discrimination because... Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, my my notes on this are very short-sighted on part of 1980s police. I think that's understating it. Um, yep. Um, and this was 1988, but I'm sure that's still happening in some police departments today. Oh, it absolutely is. Notes. Yeah, but like, this is not like, well, we've solved that. Police are great now. No. Yeah, it's like, there's a lot of work to do. Yeah, so here's how Jennifer was identified. This info is coming from the DNA Doe Project page on Charlene. The Newton County, Indiana coroner's office connected with the DNA Doe Project in late 2019. Uh, The University of North Texas Center for Human Identification extracted her DNA, which was then sent to Hudson Alpha Discovery for whole genome sequencing. 
Then bioinformatics work was performed by Kevin Lord, working with Sabre Investigations in Belton, Texas, which finally led to a file of DNA that they could use in online databases. On May 7, 2020, that file was put into the GEDmatch system and the file was uploaded to Family Tree DNA or FTDNA on June 6, 2020. Top matches of FTDNA were distant cousins on both parents' sides and due to change in terms of GEDmatch on January 11, 2021, a close relative match was found for Jennifer. So this is a direct quote from Newton County Coroner Scott McCord in the Kanaki Valley article. It was with the work of the coroner's office, the Indiana State Police, Newton County Deputy Prosecutor Becky Goddard, and the DNA Doe Network that a positive DNA match was possible, states McCord. Without the assistance and dedication of so many agencies who worked together, this woman would still be unidentified, unquote. So my note here is yay for agencies finally working together for a yeah, common communicate. goal. So many times. There's cases that could be solved, but just nobody's talking to each other. Exactly. And it also shows the importance of, like, just general community keeping, like, investigators' attention on a certain case. Like, mm-hmm. be the squeaky wheel. Exactly. So the murders of Jennifer and Tony have not been solved, but according to Newton County Coroner Scott McCord, who I believe this is from one of, he said this in one of the articles, which I think it was the Kanaki Valley Post, but it could have also been... Uh, the NWI Times article, um, he basically said that their murders are still open cases and investigations are continuing. Okay. It was what I took from that. I'm paraphrasing, but... Yeah, no, that sounds likely. I feel like we just have to also just take a minute to think about uh, Jennifer's daughter who has now been like that her whole life basically changed because of somebody decided to kill Jennifer and that changed her daughter's entire life. Yeah, like imagine, because at one, she probably doesn't even have memories of her. Yeah, it's really sad. Um, So this is the facial estimation. Yeah, I remember that one. And these are the two photos that were released of Jennifer. In one photo is her yearbook photo where she looks like she's about to laugh because somebody is doing something really stupid just outside of frame. I love that. It really, I think, like, you can get her a sense of her personality from it. Yeah. Like, she seems kind of fun-loving. And then there's a second photo where she's older. um, She's early 20s, and she's wearing a gold dress. And it looks like this is probably, like, a family photo from some sort of event. Amazing long earrings. Yeah, and a necklace. And she's all dolled up, and she looks great. And it's really sad that on so many levels... With her daughter, number one, number two, that this case is still unsolved and someone's gotten away with it for over 30 years. And there's from, I'm sure they know more than what they're uh, given because that is always the case. Yeah. But it really, it seems like there's, from what they've told the public, there are no leads. I'm sure there is some, there's something going on behind the scenes, hopefully. Hopefully. Because they know who was, they know Tony was with her. Exactly. So if so. they can figure out the connection between Jennifer and Tony, you'd think it would be easy for That's them That's what to, I was just about to say is I guess step one is figuring out how did how they're connected. Yeah, how did if they are. and Tony know each other? Like maybe there was just something, I don't know, wild speculation on my part, but maybe there was something going on with Tony and somebody and like she saw something. 
or vice versa. Or it could have been one of those things where it was like some weird situation happened. So yeah, Jennifer has her name back. Hopefully her killer will get caught. Yeah, and as always, our condolences to the family and... And also to Tony. And to Tony and to everybody who knew him. Yeah, so I always hope with these cases that we'll soon have another update. Yes. Speaking of updates, a new update on... Um, so this is the one that I called the Clarington Doe um, because she was found like right next to the Darlington Nuclear Generating Station, which is located in the municipality of Clarington in Durham region. That seems like a very logical way to name a case. I spent like a solid 20 minutes deciding. And this is the first case I think I ever covered. This was... Episode one. Episode one. This was your case in episode one. one. Yeah. Wow, it's been a while. But she is more widely known as Bowmanville Jane Doe, especially by investigators. So anyway. Any hoodle. There has been not movement in terms of like they're getting close to identification, but pretty big movement in terms of her facial approximation. Amazing. I shared this link as well. It's a CP24 article by Catherine the clerk until now um she's always been described as being white or mainly white maybe with some indigenous ancestry but and i had forgotten that dna doe project took on this case i think it was i think it was this year because i remember probably sharing something about it yeah but i totally I forgot feel like you would have mentioned it and we would have remembered it if it was in that episode yeah no this was like really recent so they just did some new genetic genealogy and it looks like Bowmanville Jane Doe is actually of African and Southeast Asian descent, which kind of changes a lot in terms of yeah. potential appearance. And also like people being like, oh, well, this person was missing, but they can't be Bowmanville Jane exactly. Doe. Exactly. Because now it's like we were looking for the wrong person altogether. Mm-hmm. So we'll also obviously post this photo, but this is the new approximation. Which looks so different from the others. Completely different. And also is a very good approximation. And I love that they're showing the ring as well. Yes. It's like two, like here's two different things that you can use to identify. And I still really think that she lived in the area just because the consumer is distributing the stuff from stores in Oshawa. It's so hopefully... With this new approximation, they're going to soon have an identification. Yes. And when was she found? Um, she was found 2006. So she was found 2006. She was completely skeletonized by then. So there's not like any sort of thing where it's like, if you were living in Bowmanville in 1982, you might remember this person. Yeah, it's not like with the Rainbow Falls um, situation. With this, it's she possibly died between 1980 and 2004. It's a long time. But they're able to narrow it down more potentially by the items that she was found with, which were like early, mid-90s. Because so. there's always the thought of like, okay, but she might have gotten this from a secondhand store. But with all the things, like the ring, the watch, the clothing, it seems... All those things. It's likely that she was from the area. Exactly. And from a more specific time. Yeah. So that is the update on Bowmanville Jane Doe. Well, I'm glad that there's an update and that there's been movement on the case. Yeah, because that's one of those ones that I don't think is really well known. I only know about it because of school. Yep. 
And like we are both from the area, and hey, we're I'd, both from the area. I'd never heard of it before. And by area, I mean the general GTA. Yeah. I'm never out east. I'm I get lost really easy. Lots of trees. Yeah. So yeah, I think so. That's all my cases for today. Well, that's all my cases. I have no updates. So thanks for uh, bearing with us through our rusty go around. A, a rusty homecoming. Is that what a homecoming is? Basically, we haven't done this in a long time, so thanks for bearing with us. We don't know us. where we are. Thanks for hanging in there and coming back. And yeah, thank hello, you. new listeners. Yeah. Excited to have you. And uh, you can go to our website, doughpodcast.com. You can be our friend on Twitter, at doughpodcast. Oh, you can follow us on Twitter. Yeah. You can... What am I saying? It's like... You can also be our friend. You, yeah. We, I we mean, we accept, we'll accept that. Um, you can hang out with us on Facebook... Yeah, I think we have a page. Is it? Yes, it's a page. You can yes. like our page on Facebook. Kayla knows the words to say. Yay. <laughs> you should and really be doing Yeah, we're at Doe Podcast on like everything. Basically. And we've tried to be on, like we've put ourselves up on basically every yeah. platform. So check us out on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Oh, yeah, we are. We're just going to list all of the platforms. If you, if you go to our link tree on our Instagram, which we also have, and you can like us on Instagram... Uh, we've got links to us on all the platforms. So, and I I got a kitten in the summer. So oh if God, you go to so our cute. Instagram, you can see photos of the kitten. Well, at least one photo. Zoe. Zoe. I nearly said like for her privacy, are we not going to name her? But <laughs> <laughs> Zoe must be protected. <laughs> yes. Um, um, but yeah, and then next episode will be more updates. Yes, and then we will get back into new cases, unless like ten are suddenly identified, which is the way it's going. But I think well, our next update will be sooner. The next update will not be October 2022. Yeah, we promise this won't be a once a year podcast. podcast. That would be ridiculous. Uh, do I think we just say bye? Honestly, <laughs> I, was, we... I was reflecting on that today. It's like, we were like, we're going to come up with like an ending, uh, like an out, a fancy outro like other podcasts have. And we just couldn't figure out. And we're like, bye. Bye. <laughs> bye. So, yeah. Bye. Bye. bye.